Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Fred Schenkler. Hey, Carl. Hey, Fred. You know, we really enjoyed our last podcast where we uh, did a sort of a deep dive in that uh, first step of the six-step process on developing a reliability strategic vision. And I thought maybe this, let's just do this in sequence and, uh, and, and talk about the core principles on performing a reliability gap assessment. You know, it's not automatically intuitive. Sometimes you know, okay, so we have the vision, we know where we want to go. Why don't we just lay out the steps to go there? Why do you think we need a gap assessment as the next step? Well, I'm going to build on Chris Chris's analogy of a, you know, if you're going to do a get in your car and you ask how much how many how much gas I need. Well, now I know I'm going to go down to the grocery store, right? So I don't need a lot of gas. And I could just jump in the car and go, right? Um, but there's also, especially the weather that I've been having this winter, it's prudent to actually check the map to go, oh, okay, well, that road's closed and that road's washed out and that one's you know, under repair and there's a tree across that one, which is not exaggerating what I saw uh, on one of the storms we had out here. Um, and so it was, you know, it if I know where I'm going... And I don't know what my capabilities are in, in a road trip thing is what roads are open, for example. Um, I may be surprised along the way if I say, just jump in the car and go and the tire's not attached. <laughs> you okay, know? Okay. You know, I'm looking at it that way is that it's part of it is, is setting up a contrast or um, the idea of not only constraints, but capabilities of, of your team and organization. You might say, we want to be best in the world, but if we don't know what that is or how to do that, that could be a real problem um, of actually achieving it. Um, so it's it's a step to um, get a picture of what we know and don't know and what we're capable of and not capable of is a way to help make sure that you're going to get there. Uh, the okay, that's good. That, that's a good uh, reply. And I'll, let me build on the analogy one more step here that comes to mind. I've done, uh, my wife and I've done a lot of RVing. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we did long trips, we had to ask ourselves, you know, if we're going through Texas or places where there's not a lot of gas stations, uh, this, the, um, and I don't even want to go into the electric area right now, because that's mm -hmm. just sort of forming on the subject of RVs. But the we often didn't have enough gas because the tank is not big enough. I mean, you could design your trip around gas station to gas station, mm -hmm. um, but so we ended up um, getting a external fuel tank so we could go a day's worth of driving and not have to be uh, subservient or, or dependent on the gas station location. Um, and so that that analogy fits a lot of things. The gap in that example helped me understand. What were the shortcomings of the my RV system in terms of what our goals are to travel the country and see the national parks and that type of thing? Mm -hmm. We're going to be in some pretty remote areas. So what are the gaps? Well, just having enough fuel or having enough uh, capability is part of it. 
Yep. And that that brings me to the so if you if you have a strategic vision like we talked about in the last podcast and you know where you want to be in terms of let's say beating the competition or that type of thing, well now you have to sit back and say where are we today? Yeah. If, how good are we today? Yeah, I mentioned that one group that wanted to be best and how much better do they need to be and says, well, you're asking the right question because you need to be better. Cause we did a, we, there was surveys out and national surveys and showing that you were pretty much perceived as the worst product out there considering quality and reliability. So you got a long way to go. <laughs> it's just, you only have one way to go. It's better. And, but the, the, if you don't know where you are and it's the same with any kind of consulting or coaching of any kind, you know, you, you bring up a new soccer team and you get the season started and say, right, go play. And you assess how well are they at passing? How are they at vision on the screen? Can they, are, are they talking to each other? So as a coach, it's like, well, where are you now? Because I'm not going to teach them how to kick the ball and make a pass if they're already doing it really well. But maybe right. they're not communicating well with each other. Maybe they're not spreading out enough with each other. And says, well, those are the opportunities to take you to the next level. Let's build in what you're good at and prove what you're not so good at. But if you don't do that practice drill to see where they're at, you don't know what to work on. Yeah, the uh, and, and this this requires keeping a vision in mind. Let's say uh, uh, you have certain tools that you think you would use, like FMEA or HALT or other tools. Mm-hmm. And part of the gap assessment is knowing what the capability is today. So how do you how do you envision using the how good are you i'm sorry uh, at a halt in other words do you have the capability today so you you have to start asking certain questions and so i've always started a gap assessment by knowing where the vision is and then starting to list out some of the questions that i'm, I'm going to have to go explore to see what the current capability is well it's it's part yeah, it's part capability, but I always looked at that set of interviews and discussions you're having is, one, is this organization aligned about what they're trying to do? If everybody deeply understands the vision and can articulate how what they're doing relates to it, that's a far cry from a team that says, well, I, we never measure it, so I, I don't care, and I'm worried about costs, and the next person's worried about time to market, and, that, and if they're scattered all over the place... It's a program management problem. It's a cultural problem. But reliability gets churned up in that kind of realm. As a, so part of it is, is what's their, how do they think about implementing reliability? How do they consider the impact on the performance of their product, the reliability performance, with selecting a vendor? It's not so much what... I, I also look at what tools, you know, do you... But I am always cautious. They'll say, oh, we have a halt chamber. We do it all the time. Right? That's great. Mm. But do you actually use that information for anything? Oh, we, they always complain that we break it. So we're happy generating a report. They pay us for that, but then they don't do anything with it. Ah, now I see a problem. Yeah, exactly. I remember some of our early conversations uh, when we were developing this book. And you had uh, four questions that I thought were really succinct. Um, from a method standpoint. In other words, the, the gaps can be organizational, they can be culture, but they can also be methods. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was like, 
to what extent do you use a particular method, say HALT, right. and then how do you use it, and then why do you use it? Because yep. you're basically probing to see if they understand that. Yep. And then do they have some examples that we can look at about uh, the application of a particular tool? So you had a really nice uh, cadence of uh, exploration on the method side that um, I've we've adopted in the book as yeah. part of it as well. well. Part of it is it's in it. You really want to, and I was just reviewing a, a draft book just yesterday and it came across as, well, here's, here's how you do reliability. Here's a list of tools, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you'll be a far, you'll do it. That's doing reliability. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's really dangerous. You can keep a, a team of people very busy doing stuff that may have absolute no worth whatsoever. And so instead it's, it's, if you already are doing halt and you under, you and the organization understands and values it, you may choose not to do it on purpose because you don't need that information. That's way better than, Oh, we never use it because that just breaks products. So it's not whether you have the chamber or that you do it all the time. It's how well is it integrated into what you information you need to make decisions. And the gap isn't so much do you have a chamber or not. That it can be expensive to buy one or or you can go rent them and change, you know, you can solve that many different ways. The bigger gap is do you even need to know or use this technique and do you have the capability to understand the difference? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you really have to know why you're using or would use this particular tool. What would you do with the information? Um, and then from that, once once the gap assessment is done, like you say, we can get into the the decisions and then methods. But the gap is part of honing in, zeroing in. For example, uh, let me say what 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 we don't want to do. We don't want to say, okay, I remember this happened in in a company I worked for. Uh, we brought in uh, experts on Taguchi methods. And all the executives went to uh, get trained on Taguchi. And then the, then the orders started coming down. Uh, we're going to use Taguchi all the time. Yeah. And, and of course, that's not the right thing to do because we don't know. We, we have to know why you use a Taguchi method versus some other method. And when you use it under certain circumstances, what's the selection criteria? And it would be based on filling some gap or reinforcing something that you've done well. Uh, it would not just be automatic. And so one of the things the gap assessment does is it allows you to move away from a template. That's an automatic listing of tools, which we would say is not the right way to go. Oh, yeah, definitely. And But part of the gap is is the tension between achieving or moving towards the vision, your specific program's goals, you know, this product needs to be X, Y, Z reliable. And, and, the, and what... While you're not already picking out what exactly you need to do, it's it's a question and a discussion about well, what are the barriers to us achieving that objective? You know, and it might be, oh, we believe we need a new material in that we've never worked with before. Or huh, that might be an issue that we might want to explore. Right, we have a major decision to pick this material, but we don't have enough information. It doesn't preclude picking an accelerated testing or material study or vendor data or 
all the other things that you could do to fill in that blank, but it identifies that there's a tension here between we we suspect we need a different something from what we have now, and we don't know how to tell if it's better or not. And there's that to me is the essence of the gap. It's it's not do we have a halt chamber or not? No, it's do we understand how this product will fail? If we really have no idea, well, halt may well be a good way to go about doing it. It's not the only way, but it's the gap is, do we understand the risks involved with going with this vendor versus that vendor or this material versus that material? Or do we need to make these kinds of changes to achieve our objectives? Those are the yeah. questions that we have to latch on. The The other way I've often asked this question in, in just a summary with, if I only get a few minutes with somebody, well, what keeps you up at night? What gives you the most concern that it could go all wrong? Um, and that almost always elicits a short list of things that lead to, well, if we had better information or better access to the information you need to make a decision, you'd be in good shape. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. That's the what I think of as the gap. It's the that tension of what we know and don't know, and sometimes is what we don't know we don't know, which is kind of fun. But, Those are good uh, core core uh, principles. The the, uh, the I don't think there's a canned list of questions. Uh, and in in our book, we had identified some example questions, oh, and then we a whole have appendix a, that lists. Yeah, we have an appendix that uh, you can get online. Uh, that has more examples, but but the point I'm making there is that we don't you don't you don't want to automatically take those. Uh, you want to develop your own list of questions based on your strategic vision, and based on what you know about your organization. Uh, it's really a fact finding, a gap assessment. Like uh, part of it is fact finding. Where are you today compared to where you need to be? Yep. And and part of that where you are today can be organizational. Like, for instance, if you have lofty goals and lofty visions for reliability, but nobody even has any training in reliability, uh, there's no infrastructure, there's no uh, people, you haven't, then then that can be a gap. In other words, it could be an organizational gap. Yeah, right. or awareness, or, or I always think of the... The teams that say, well, we don't have a way to do cross-sectioning in, in the SEM micros, you know, uh, scanning electron microscope, so we can't do failure analysis. And I said, well, you know, that's mm. not actually true. No. Um, <laughs> you don't have to spend $200 million to build a beautiful lab, which would be fun and engaging, and it may well be worth it. But first, you need to bridge that gap of what tools are actually useful for you. And there's plenty of labs around that are more than happy to let you play, you know, with their scanning electron microscope or this, that, or the other thing. So you can get good at doing failure analysis as opposed to, you know, as opposed to saying, well, we can't do it because we don't have the equipment. And that's not true. It's the gap is, is, the attitude towards doing failure analysis, the process of doing it, the awareness of how you go about doing it. You can learn the tools and techniques and you can pick up the assets as they become viable for you. But oftentimes the gap isn't, do I have a chamber or not? It's, do you need a chamber? (laughs) Yes, yes. And there's so many solutions and we don't want to go to the solutions before we understand the gaps. For instance, you may decide to hire people and get them trained or you may 
decide to hire people that are already trained or educated in reliability, or you may decide to bring in an outside consultant, or you may decide, like you say, to engage an outside lab, or you may decide there's all types of future decisions, but they should be based on where you are today compared to where you want to be. And that's really what step two is is about. But the other thing I wanted to say about step two, the performing a reliability gap assessment, is it it takes contact. You don't want to do this by yourself, for example, of course. You want to do this by talking with people. Now, you can talk to people in a big group, or you can talk to people one-on-one. You can talk to people in a meeting. You can talk to people in the hallway. The, The point is, and just trying to convey the concept yeah. is there's a communication part of this where you need to, with all humility, you don't want to preach when you're doing a gap assessment. You want to listen and you want to ask questions. And you so you have to seek out who to talk with as well as what questions to ask and what type of venue it should be. Yeah. No, I found the best person to call is the general manager or the CEO's assistant. <laughs> Because yes. one of their duties is to deflect uh, tasks away from the boss that other people certainly can handle. And so when I was at Hewlett Packard, my charter was to go do this assessment of all of the, we call, I called them, and my, my mentor called them um, uh, feudal baronies. Uh, <laughs> the, each division was its own uh, feudal barony of business. And, and they, we're autonomous in many, many regards. So they actually ran different business models. They ran different structures. They did all kinds of weird stuff different. And it was deliberate that each product line would have its own flexibility. And I didn't know vast majority of these people, uh, uh, these organizations. So I would call the general manager's office and somebody would pick up and I'd say, hi, I'm Fred. I'm from corporate. I'm coming to take a look at your reliability program. Who do I need to talk to? You know, and it was never the CEO, the general manager. <laughs> Which is <laughs> something. Well, you know, the general manager is running a hundred million dollar business line, right? And there were a few that that wanted to talk to me, but usually it was what, like their quality director or the director of engineering, or usually a pretty senior person was the go to. And then they would say, "Oh, the type of information you're looking for, you need to talk to." These eight people, you know, from this group, that group, that group, this one, this one, this one, they could, and they had the position then to invite me to talk to them and I would get an hour with them. And this is coming from distant, far away corporate, I am coming to help kind of thing. And so, but I found that if you don't know who to talk to, if you're coming into an organization, you're just new into it, or you're trying to figure out who is the reliability people in this organization, Many organizations don't have a department or a named reliability manager. They, it's not terribly common. It's out there, but it's not required by anybody. Right, right. So if if it's not clear, um, go ask the general manager's assistant. <laughs> they will know. <laughs> that's Good. their job. Good. <laughs> that's a quick. T- I don't think that's in the book, but that's a tip. <laughs> no, good. I like that. A couple things that that come to mind here. Um, one is when you're doing a gap assessment, um, I always want to, part of it for me is immersion. So I ask myself, I, I want to see how is this organization, this department, this company currently going about achieving reliability? Yep. It might be good. It might be bad, whatever, but you want to understand it. Yep. And so you're going to want to read whatever 
procedures or documents. This is in addition to the questioning. Yep. So I didn't want to leave people with the idea that it's only questions. Part of it is study and immersing in the uh, in what's currently being done today. Sometimes that's uh, asking questions. Sometimes that's reading. Uh, however it is. The other thing I want to mention is the maturity matrix. It's so important to map the gaps. Part of understanding the gaps is where is the company on the maturity matrix yeah. today? Because we're going to want to move the company up the maturity matrix. And if you haven't, um, if you don't understand maturity matrix, obviously it's in the book. I think it's in chapter three uh, where we would do a deep dive into maturity matrix. Uh, but don't you also have Freddie uh, an ebook on maturity matrix, do. don't you? Yeah. And it's really that it's mapping. It's like, okay, they're good at passing, but they're not so good at shooting on the goal or, or they're really good at communicating, but they're confusing each other. And so it, it's saying it, it's a listing of, of different, areas of importance to achieving reliability and setting goals and doing test and verification type stuff and, and failure analysis and, you know, dealing with failures and stuff like that. It covers all kinds of different things. Yeah. And, and this is how you get the culture because right. the, the maturity matrix really is imbued with the, the culture right. um, as how important reliability is and, and that type of thing. And, and part of that gap assessment is understanding that the culture today where it is, because we may need to change the culture as part of the uh, reliability planning. Yeah, and it and it's one of those things that helps you identify. Well, what's holding you back? Right? If we're getting no information back from the field, so we're not getting any failure analysis back, or we're not getting any reports back, and we get just warranty numbers. That may be identified as a gap because you're not getting the feedback mechanism as how well previous products are doing in an engineering sense, and so that maybe the pivotal point that's on the matrix is in retarding the ability for other groups to other parts of this process, this culture to make headway. It may be very obvious. Everything's doing great except for this one. And they're bucking against being proactive because they don't have a, a good view of where, of what happened before. And so it's and, and just, we, we have in the book, we talk in lots of examples of gaps because yeah. people sometimes say, well, what do you mean by gap? Yeah. I'll just give one example that comes to mind with me is, is I worked with a company a few years ago that um, uh, they were doing testing. Uh, they had a warranty that was maybe 10, 12 years. I forget what it was, uh, but they did testing for essentially uh, replicated one year mm -hmm. because they assumed that the, the, failure distribution would be level. And so they figure, okay, if we if we understand what's happening in one year, we just multiply it by 10 and we're good. Uh, oh, to get the overall. And so a gap can be a, a wrong assumption. It can be whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And oftentimes it's communications and how they perceive or use things. And so, you know, if, if you run a whole pile of activities and it's just a checklist and nobody ever uses it, the gap is not that they do halt and FMEA and seller testing, environmental testing, and on and on and on, is that they don't use it. And they're not, so it's, it can run all over the map, but getting a good picture of where you're at, and I go back to that soccer analogy, is you get a good picture of what you're good at and not good at. And a prudent thing to do is build on your strengths and, and 
limit the, the parts you're not so good at, you know, improve those, focus on it. And then there's many, many different options depending on what the nature of it is and the overall culture. But until, you know, one of the things I found, Carl, just one last note on this thing is that going in and doing one of these um, assessments or appraisals or whatever you call it, it's one, it's not an audit. There's no right or wrong answers. It's you're just trying to understand uh, what's the right word? Uh, gestalt. You're trying to understand how this all works, how people go about doing their business to achieve reliability. And more often than not, and I'm sure it's the same with you, Carl, is that you debrief the organization and what you learned, and they're going, you know more about our organization than we do, because almost mm. nobody sits back and says, what is it that we actually do in a way it's, like this? It's fun. I really enjoy it because mm -hmm. you don't know where it's going to end up. There's nothing canned about it. Yeah. It's exploratory. You're going to learn uh, things. And, and the organization learns, too. So if you do it right and well, the organization's learning with you. And like you say, they may not have known this yep. as to where the gaps are and what, what the priority of the gaps are. So if you have um, some thoughts about how we can um, make this inherent in our reliability processes to do gap assessments and or successes or questions about it, uh, please reach out to us. Yep. And you can do that over at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. A couple ways you can get in touch with us. And there's also uh, Carl and I and, and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our about pages. Um, just last week, I got a question through LinkedIn, uh, which was about sample size for accelerated testing. And I got a direct email saying, why are there so many accelerated life test models? And so I don't know if that was prompted from an episode that we did the week prior that was about accelerated testing, but um, I certainly appreciate it. And I look forward that uh, we don't have a gap of no questions after this episode. So absolutely. Well, well said, Fred. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Carl. I'll talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes. <laughs>